All right, this is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm Michael Slate, and we've got another great show for you today. But first... We live in troubled times. We live in troubled times. What part of history we... In a heinous act dripping with hypocrisy, Putin announced he was sending in his army to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. This is nothing but grotesque imperialist bull to justify a move to protect the capitalist imperialist interests of Russia. In words which were even more hypocritical, American political players from Biden on down self-righteously deplored this move while conveniently ignoring the US's own history of doing exactly this kind of thing, except much more frequently and on a much more horrendous scale. And of course, Biden conveniently covered over the ways in which the U.S. and NATO have goaded this on. The interests of these imperialists are not our interests. Don't side with either one. Get organized for a revolution to get rid of this whole capitalist imperialist system. Go to revcom.us for ongoing coverage, revolutionary analysis and leadership, and watch the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show this Thursday and every Thursday at youtube.com forward slash the revcoms. All right, this is the Michael Slate Show coming to you in troubled times indeed. You just heard a statement from the Revcoms on the invasion of Ukraine. We'll hear more about this on uh, today's show. At the back end of the show, you'll hear some of the voices of Rise Up for Abortion Rights from a rally and speak out Sunday, February 27th at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Rise Up for Abortion Rights is organizing national demonstrations on March 8th, International Women's Day, saying we refuse to let the U.S. Supreme Court deny women's humanity and decimate their rights. And opening the show up, we're going to hear a discussion on the war in Ukraine with Lenny Wolf and Noche Diaz on the RNL, or Revolution Nothing Less show, on YouTube. They're introduced by the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show, Andy Z. Late Wednesday night, we posted this on our website, revcom.us. In a heinous act dripping with hypocrisy, Vladimir Putin announced he was sending in his army to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. This is nothing but grotesque, imperialist bull**** to justify a move to protect the capitalist imperialist interest of Russia. In words which were even more hypocritical, American political players from Biden on down self-righteously deplore this move, while conveniently ignoring the U.S.'s own history of doing exactly the same kind of thing, except qualitatively more frequently and on a much more horrendous scale. And of course, Biden very conveniently covered over the ways in which the US and NATO have goaded this on. So with that as an introduction, let's go to the conversation between Lenny Wolf, who is a leader of the Revcoms and a writer for Revcom.us, and Noche Diaz, who is the spokesperson for the Revolution Clubs nationally. Hi, I'm Lenny Wolf. I'm a follower of Bob Avakian and an advocate for the new communism. As we record this, Russia has recognized two regions of what had been part of the country of Ukraine as independent of Ukraine, and they have sent troops into those regions. This provocation by Russia unjustly violates the sovereignty of Ukraine. As you can see from the map, Ukraine is a sizable country of 43 million people 
bordering Russia. The U.S. and its allies have responded with economic sanctions or penalties against Russia, suspending contracts, freezing bank accounts of some high officials and some government entities, and forbidding certain imports and exports. As U.S. Defense Secretary Austin backhandedly admitted, these sanctions will impose suffering and immense sacrifice on the Russian people. And as the website Revcom.us points out, the U.S. has been politically and militarily encircling Russia since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, of which Russia was part. At that time, the U.S. began drawing new countries into the NATO military alliance it heads, installing troops and nuclear-capable weaponry close to Russian borders. And eight years ago, the United States supported the ouster of a government friendly to Russia and then developed economic and military ties with this new Ukrainian government. Now the U.S. claims to be outraged at Russia's moves. Want to know how seriously to take that outrage? Here's a hint from history. In 1961, the United States sponsored and militarily supported an invasion of the sovereign nation of Cuba. The invasion was defeated, but the U.S. continued with its threats and subversion and outright sabotage of Cuba. In 1962, Cuba asked the Soviet Union to install missiles in the country to deter the United States from another attack. When the U.S. found out about it, it threatened to plunge the entire world into nuclear war until those missiles were withdrawn 12 days later. As Bob Avakian has pointed out, the United States always claims to be the good guys who can therefore carry out all sorts of crimes and threats that would be opposed if any other country were to do them. Back to today, though, the United States and NATO have sent troops and weaponry to countries close to Russia, in addition to arming Ukraine itself. The threat of a wider war, which would immediately entail tremendous suffering and death for people in Ukraine, and which could spiral into something horrific and even catastrophic, is not just in the air but is a live possibility. Today, we'll get into what interests are driving this. Where do the interests of humanity lie in this situation? And how do these events relate to the revolution we so urgently need? To do that, we've asked Noche Diaz, national spokesperson for the Revolution Club, to help sort all this out. Noche, how do you see the situation? Well, one thing is uh, I really appreciate you pulling the lens back because uh, I think everybody is being bombarded day in and day out with the sort of in a soap opera like drama of what's going on with the ins and outs, who's doing what and who's lying to who and who's uh, making this move and that move. And, you know, um, people, if, if things escalate and as things escalate are being trained to think of 
oh, who started it and who made the first move and all of this or that. And what people need to do is actually go back to how this, you know, how this has been developing over years and decades in terms of, you know, not just conflicts between Biden and Putin, but at, between a whole block of imperialism headed by the U.S. and Russia's attempt to forge its own block of, you know, rival gangsters competing over the turf and the corners. And so, you know, I think it's very important that people not get sucked into and roped into all of this, you know, stuff that really stupefies and mystifies everything into what they tell you is is what happened on, you know, yesterday or the day before that and actually look at the bigger picture and what's going on. And, uh, you know, this is uh, this is something that people people really do not know anything about what is going on there or internationally. You know, um, overall, you when you walk through NATO and how it was, first of all, an alliance, a military alliance for the U.S. to, you know, and, and uh, its allies to help isolate the Soviet Union and now in rivalry with Russia and its attempts to form its new imperialist bloc or the way in which, you know, these missile systems that you referred to, the MK-41s have been used thousands of times as offensive weaponry by the U.S. to attack different places all around the country whenever it deems um, it's in its interests. Or the fact that sanctions are used repeatedly by the U.S. as weapons of war and kill off thousands of people, including attempts to target children. And its intention is to actually cause that kind of suffering, to be used as a violent means to impose the will of the U.S. and to force people to bend their knee to the imperialist interest of the U.S. And in basic from Bob Avakian, I just want to read this you know, you know, very quickly uh, for people because it helps cut through a lot of this and the way in which they help they try to train us to think about world events. Basics, this is 3.8. The interests, objectives, and grand designs of the imperialists are not our interests. They're not the interests of the great majority of people in the U.S., nor of the overwhelming majority of people in the world as a whole. And the difficulties the imperialists have gotten themselves into in pursuit of these interests must be seen and responded to, not from the point of view of these imperialists and their interests, but from the point of view of the great majority of humanity and the basic and urgent need of humanity for a different and better world, for another way. Well, that brings up an interesting point. Where do the interests of humanity lie if they don't lie with one or another of these imperialist powers? In the Revolution Club, we have six points of attention for the revolution. And number three is that we're fighting for a world without borders, where people of different languages, cultures, and races are equals. That is what's in the interest of humanity, not siding or lining up behind one or another imperialist in their attempt to carve up the world and compete with each other over how to exploit the people and plunder the planet. Our interest is in overthrowing these imperialists and getting rid of their system and bringing, up being, bringing into being a communist world that truly is free of all those divisions amongst people. So you're saying we're not for one side or the other. We are not, but let me tell you, we're also for any defeat, setback, embarrassment, and, and any kind of loss that the U.S. suffers through this process. Because this country, the United States, is one of the biggest gangsters and imperialist powers on the planet. And you want to talk about the interests of the people of the world? Bringing this empire down is one of the greatest things we can do in the interests of humanity. And when they suffer setbacks, even against people who we don't like, because Putin and Russia are no good, let's be clear. But even when they suffer defeats versus people we don't like and who are no good, 
that can actually strengthen the struggle of the people to bring down the system right here in the belly of the beast. And that's what we are working towards. I think that's really important. And uh, there was a show previously that we did when this crisis was just beginning to bubble up. And um, at that show, I said that uh, this is a war between slave masters. This is a war to on either side to defend and expand slavery. And in such a war, our interests lie in using the defeats of, the, of either side to overthrow the whole system of slavery. And somebody, I wanted to, this is a question I really want to ask you, because some of the people who were applauding that um, were saying in the comment section, yeah, we got to let the white people fight amongst themselves and then we can take over. What do you say to somebody who says that? No. And in the Revolution Club, again, you will learn the points of attention. And number four says we are going for the emancipation of all humanity. And we don't lose sight of the potential of people, even the most oppressed to do that. And our responsibility to struggle with people to rise to that. We don't tolerate revenge. This is the way this system degrades us, gets us acting and thinking in the ways of this system. Gets us forgetting that the point of what you were saying was that we are trying to get free, not to get in or to become another one of the people who gets to look at and, 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 and laugh at other people who are suffering and, 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 and uh, being oppressed under this system, whether they're white, black, brown, yellow, or any other, you know, purple, green, I don't care, okay? If you're actually finding to put an end to that, you're not just going to welcome people slaughtering each other. You are again welcoming the defeats of these imperialists as part of bringing them down and getting everybody free, including, yes, the masses of people who are in Ukraine or Russia are part of the people of the world who need to be part of struggling to get everybody free. OK, so this is this is what you'll learn in the revolution. And this is the, the principles, the methods and the standards that the revolutionaries need to be applying and modeling for people. We don't have to act like them who rule over us. We have to act like emancipators of humanity. Noche, I think that really captures something critically important. I want to tell our um, viewers that every week at the website revcom.us, the Revolution Club has a page through which you can get organized and get hooked up and learn about the next activities of the club and find out where you need to be going and what you need to be doing. Uh, so I hope to have a dis further discussion with you. Let's see what develops here. And I'm sure we'll see the Revolution Club out there. That was Lenny Wolf and Noche Diaz on the war in Ukraine from the RNL show. Now these days, lots of people are trying to figure out why this is all happening. So I'd like to point you towards two things that can help us all understand what's going on and what people who want to see a world without these kinds of horrific wars can do. First, you can go to revcom.us and check out their coverage, including an important new article by Bob Avakian. Shameless American Chauvinism, Anti-Authoritarianism as a Cover for Supporting U.S. Imperialism. There are several other articles on the website along with this. And Friday, March 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, there will be an emergency forum, War in Ukraine. What is happening? Why is it happening? Where do the interests of humanity lie? And what does it have to do with the revolution humanity so urgently needs? This will be live streamed and will feature Andy Z, host of the Revolution Nothing Less show and spokesperson for Revolution Books, 
in a dialogue with Raymond Lada, a political economist who writes for the Webcom's website. You can get the link for this live stream at the website revolutionbooksnyc.org. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. That was garbage, the men who rule the world. Now let's hear voices from a rally held at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. First, we'll hear Michelle Chai, who was one of the MCs. So March 8th, you know, this is, this is really important. We're calling for mass protests in the streets because this is how we change the situation where right now there's way too much silence and capitulation to the fact that they're getting ready to get rid of this fundamental right. When women don't have the right to abortion, they are nothing more than breeders of children, than property of men. And this is exactly why we are here today in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Because what this not just this church, but the religion overall. How it, it trains women and people to think. It trained me in this way. I grew up in the Catholic church. To think that my role in this world was to be a mother. And growing up in a domestic violence household where the, the church told my mother to return to her abuser and to return to her husband, and her place was at home with her husband and her children. This is the way that women are viewed, where this is their only role, and when abortion is taken away from women, they are trapped in this kind of situation. They're reduced to nothing more than breeders of children and property of men, and we refuse to live in a world where women are forced to, to, to breed children against their will. We refuse to live in a world where women are reduced to nothing more than baby-making machines. This is why we're out here today. And through the course of today, you're going to hear the stories of women. Women who have lived what it's like to breed children against their will. Women who will tell what it's like to have an abortion, to seek abortion, to not want to carry through a pregnancy that they don't want and inspire people that right now is the time to tell your stories. Right now is the time to speak out and to call on everybody you know to get into the streets and act. We are not just gonna sit back and rely on some channels that have already proven time and time again that they ain't gonna do nothing. We're going to get out in the streets and we're going to take inspiration from the women of Colombia, from the women of Mexico, from the women of Argentina. This is why we are wearing green today. To do what they did and change the situation. That needs to happen in this country. There needs to be the fury of women that is unleashed out into the streets and say no more. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. So I wanted to say that and, 
And actually, I want to open up the speak out because I have a story of my own. So, like I said, growing up in the Catholic Church, I was taught to think that abortion was a bad thing. I would see the images of the, the babies, right? Quote, unquote, the fetuses. And in all that, the women were erased of that whole situation. And I was trained to think that women just had to, they had to be mothers. And my best friend came to me when I was 16 years old in an abusive relationship and said to me, help me get an abortion. And I said no. And I refused to help her because I was brainwashed to think that somehow she needed to stay in that abusive relationship and give birth to that child. And I refused to help her. And I didn't even think about what it was like for her to be living in a situation where she had to go back to an abusive partner and give birth to yet another child that she did not want. And I carried that guilt for a long time when I changed my ways of thinking and understood what an abortion actually is. And understood that without this basic right, women are reduced to nothing more than breeders of children. And their life and what they're going through just gets completely erased out of the situation. Because you're just thinking about this quote-unquote baby that has the potential to become alive, but it has to be that woman's choice whether you're going to bring that child into this world or not. And once I came to that understanding, I cried. And I carried that guilt with me. But it was the Catholic Church that had me thinking in this way. And for the longest, I thought I was, that it was my fault. My friend ended up having that child. But for the longest, I carried that guilt thinking I didn't help my friend when she came to me and asked for help. And I'm here to, today to tell that story because that's an actual human being. And that concentrates the millions of women all over the country, all over the world that go through something as traumatic as that and seek help. And when people are brainwashed in this kind of way to don't even understand what an abortion actually is, they refuse to help something, somebody so dear to them and make them go through something like giving birth against their will. And I wanna say here publicly today, I've never said this publicly, but I'm saying it here today. Five years ago, I had an abortion. And it was the most liberating thing I could have. I was not ready to be a mother, and I did it. And it should not be full of shame. People should be able to talk about this, their stories. But this concentrates. One in four women, everybody knows somebody that has had an abortion or has a story to tell. But the shame that is put on women to make them think that it is not okay to talk about something like that, something so simple. It is more traumatic to carry a child against your will than having an abortion. There's nothing traumatic about having an abortion. It's so simple. But the fact that right now is being debated out, it's infuriating and should tell you something about the kind of society that we live in. The role that they are trying to reduce women to be just breeders of children and property of men. And again, this is why we're out here. And I'm telling my story to call on you, 
listening at home here today, tell your story and get out into the streets and inspire people to flood the streets on March 8th, International Women's Day, to walk out of school, to walk out of work, and to say, we refuse to let the US Supreme Court deny women's humanity and decimate their rights. Next, we're gonna hear Meryl Hoffman, founder and CEO of Choices Women's Medical Center in Queens, New York, one of the first abortion clinics in the US. She was an organizer of the first pro-choice civil disobedience at St. Patrick's Cathedral in 1989 and an initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights. What passion, wonderful, wonderful. And you have called out one of the most dangerous enemies to women's freedom and women's rights, which is the fact that the enemy has outposts in our heads. Outposts in our heads. Guilt, shame, I'm not a good girl. 33 years ago, I stood here with the New York Pro-Choice Coalition and raised this hanger, this same hanger, and this is a symbol of only one of the things that women used when they didn't have access to legal and safe abortions, you see? And so many women, so many women died. I wrote about Becky Bell, who was behind me, one of the young girls. Now, why did I come here in 1989? The 80s were a terrible time. Clinics were bombed, invaded harassed, Randall Terry led what was called Operation Rescue. This was a group of activists, anti-abortion activists. I called them terrorists. They would go into clinics, doctors' waiting rooms, priests and activists, and they would have concrete collars around their neck, concrete, and they would put uh, chains there and they would chain themselves to the floor so it would take two to three hours for the police to free them and while they were sitting there they would scream at the patients you are killing your babies you will not have your abortions today now Cardinal O'Connor who was seated at St. Patrick's Cathedral invited Randall Terry to meet with him and he supported him, and supported him publicly. And I was very, very angry. So I wrote to Cardinal O'Connor, communicated with his assistants willing, and I said, I and five faith leaders would like to sit down and meet with him and describe what these actions were doing to women. He refused to meet with me. Well, I don't like very much to be rejected. And I thought, I have to get this man's attention. So I and some of the people that were actually with me on that day, and I'd like you to raise your hands, who the people were here in 1989. Please, and let's, let's give them a round of applause. Because they're still fighting and they're still here, and it's 33 years later, and we came here to get his attention. And this was the first pro-choice civil disobedience where nine people were arrested. Nine people were arrested. Well, I'm here today 
to get your attention. I want to get the attention of every woman and girl and every person of conscience in this country because women's rights are in a far more critical state of emergency now, a far more critical state of emergency. I started one of the first abortion clinics, legal abortion clinics, in New York in 1971. This was 1971. A pioneer and 51 years ago now, right? And abortion was legalized in New York three years before the Supreme Court. So this was in 1971. And I remember my first patient. Her name was Helen. And she came from New Jersey, New Jersey, because abortion was still illegal in New Jersey. So in 1971, I saw a patient from New Jersey. Now in 2002, I'm seeing patients for Texas. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> okay, so, so this is the first patient. We're in a, an entirely new world, legal abortion. And I talked to her. And I stayed with her, and I held her hand during her procedure. And that, for me, was an epiphany, because it was the most powerful and vulnerable moment for her. And that was the catalyst. That was the catalyst that led me to commit my life to this struggle. That power, and abortion is about power, and survival, and that's why it's so radically and strongly fought, okay, legal abortion. That power was so important for women, women to hold. And I've held the hands and heard the stories of thousands of women after her. So I stand here also for Helen. And I stand here as a person who was politicized by the Hyde Amendment in 1977, right? Do we remember that? The congressman, Republican, right, Republican Congressman Henry Hyde, right? If I can't save the women, the babies, no, excuse me, he didn't care about women. If I can't save the babies of all women, I'll just save the babies of the poor. So he cut off Medicaid funding for poor women. These were my patients. These were women I saw every day. Poor women, minority women. And this is what he did. And we still have the Hyde Amendment now. Where was the outrage in 1977? Where is the outrage now? Where is the rage? And I stand here for my friends who were murdered. Dr. George Tiller, who was shot down on a Sunday morning in a church in Kansas where he was a deacon. Dr. David Sleffian and Dr. David Gunn. And all the women and girls who have died and are still dying from botched illegal abortions. Let's have a moment of silence for them. Let's just think about them. So, you know, people ask me, they say, you know, Merle, you've been fighting this for so more than half a century. Where are your troops? <laughs> they always look and say, where are your troops? Like you said, one in four women will have abortions during their lifetime. 
Millions of women have had legal abortions. Millions of women have had legal abortions. What about their friends, their husbands, their partners, their lovers, their families? What a constituency. What a constituency. But all I hear is the sound of reverberating silence, silence. We must come out of the closet. I am also, I stand here as a woman who had an abortion when I was 32 years old because I did not want to be a mother at that time. I could have been, I was married, I had all of the supports, but I chose, I chose, I chose not to be a mother. And I, st and I stand here as a mother, as a mother who adopted my little girl, okay? Because I was ready. It was late in my life, but I was ready. It was my choice. We must take the responsibility out of the closet. Own your lives, own your moral choices. Your body is your country, and your dreams are your own. Protect and defend them. If not you, if not me, then who? Who? And if not now, when? Now we'll hear two people speaking about their experiences when abortion was illegal. First, it's Sammy, an activist, followed by Jim Forat, a founder of the Gay Liberation Front in New York City. They are introduced by Amaris Modesto, one of the MCs. Who's gonna share her own personal story about her abortion. She also participated here in 1989 in the first pro-choice civil disobedience. So give it up for Sammy. Thank you. I had an, Ill an illegal abortion in 1969. I come from a small town. I was in a small college. How could I find someone to perform an illegal abortion? There were networks, but I didn't know about them. One, fr one friend told me not to hurt myself. No pills, no bleach, no knitting needles, etc. I hadn't even known about self-abortions, but that really scared me. My friends found an old GP in a nearby town whose clientele had declined. I think he was an alcoholic. He kept me waiting until the last and told the receptionist she could leave. When he asked me what my, when my last period was, I lied so it wouldn't seem too late in the pregnancy because I was afraid he wouldn't do it. I was lucky that he didn't demand any sexual favors or extra money. He did his thing with a cigarette hanging out off of his, between his lips and the ash kept getting longer and longer. I focused on it because I thought the ash was gonna fall into my vagina. For aftercare, he handed me a few tissues and said, put this in your panties, nothing else. I went back to school and started running a high temperature. Every time I stood up, I whooshed blood. My roommates took me to a doctor who told me that I was stupid. My tubes were probably scarred and I would not be able to have a baby. All without an examination. And by the way, I have a lovely son, so who's stupid, doc? <laughs> Turns out I had the flu during a flu epidemic. 
When I returned home a week later, I was reading the morning paper, and there was my abortionist on page three, charged with murder. He perforated a woman's uterus while helping, uterus while helping her. That could have been me. That could have been me. No one should have to go through that or worse, die for lack of a safe abortion care. In the late 1980s, I joined every coalition in New York City I could find to fight Operation Rescue, which, as Merle was saying, was trying to shut down clinics by having hundreds and hundreds of people block doorways. In 1989, I stood here with Merle Hoffman in front of St. Patrick's in civil disobedience. We posted our theses on the cathedral door. Later that year, I and three others disrupted the US Supreme Court. We were sentenced to four days in jail, and some people before I sp was speaking was asking me what um, case it was. It was not abortion-related. Um, we went in, and we were seated, and the judges came in and seated, and no one was speaking yet. And then we stood up one at a time and made a little speech when they, the cops came and <laughs> and arrested us. So I just want to let you know that we didn't do anything bad to hurt, you know, abortion. And here I am again at St. Pat's at age 73. The stakes are even higher today. Not only are women's lives in danger, if we let Roe v. Wade be reversed, how many other civil rights will go? Abortion on demand and without apology. Thank you. Okay, so next up, very excited to bring up Jim Forat. I think there's a bus behind me. Um, Jim is a founder of the Gay Liberation Front in New York City. He will testify about a friend who died of a botched illegal abortion and his experience with ACT UP, with its major protests and civil disobedience here at St. Patrick's Cathedral in 1989. It's a theme. Jim. Thank you. I am so proud to be here as a man, as a gay man, who has vested interests essentially in what happens at the Supreme Court. We have always, in the Gay Liberation Front and the progressive arm of the LGBT movement, supported a woman's right to choose. We, even in, the, in 1969, in the early 70s, before it became legal to make a choice about your own body, we took women to safe abortionists in that underground that existed here in New York and other cities in this country to make sure that women could be safe and not butchered. I want to tell you about my own experience. First of all, that institution, the Catholic Church, and there are good priests and there are 
good nuns and there are good Catholics. I grew up with those kinds of people. They taught me how to think for myself. But this institution is more responsible for the oppression of women and for LGBT people than any other single institution in our history. That's why as an ACT UP, we came here, and yes, we went inside because people were dying, and a cardinal said, let's be nice to them and help them die. We wanted to help people live. We want women to have a free choice. In 1962, I was a young actor in New York studying in Lee Strasberg's professional classes. And I lived in a building in a sixth floor walk up, and I still live in a sixth floor walk up, a different one, on West 10th Street. And on the third floor was this very exotic woman. She was a cabaret performer. She had jet black hair, and I used to go hear her at the Blue Angel on 8th Street. One morning, she called me at 6.30, and she said, Jim, would you come down here right now? I went down. She still had an apartment with a bathtub in the kitchen. You have to be old enough like me to understand those days. I looked at her, and it was full of red water. She said, you must go to the, the drugstore and get me maximum strength Kotex. Now, you have to understand what that meant to this young gay man. I was embarrassed. I had, those were women's things over there. But I did it. And I came back. And she was dead. Dead. Because she had had a botched abortion over in what was the meat market at that time. And she had no choice. No choice. And from that moment on, I understood more today than then that the very same institutions, the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, etc., all the religious fanatics that, that want to think they can control me, can control my, my choices about my body, made me affected by what had happened to her. And the book bannings today are just the beginning of what is going to happen to LGBT people. I have the right to control my body. Every woman has the right to control her body and make the choices. This is what we call unity. We all must stand together and fight this. Whatever differences we have, I'll go over in the corner or we can dialectically talk about them. Thank you. This is the Michael Slate Show, and we're listening to voices from a rally by Rise Up for Abortion Rights held Sunday, February 27th at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Now, we're going to hear Sansara Taylor, writer for RevComs.us, co-host of the RNL Show, and a co-initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights. All right, sisters and brothers, we have heard a lot of stories today. We have heard of women's lives mangled, of hopes crushed, and we have heard the truth of what it means when the state, driven by Christian fascist hatred of women, forces women to have children against their will, or drives them to desperate measures to avoid it. This is the truth. 
forced motherhood is female enslavement. But we have also heard courage. And in just a few minutes, sisters and brothers, we are going to demonstrate our courage. We are going to see bravery. As people who are among us here today, put it on the line in nonviolent civil disobedience. Because we have come to understand that it is time to put it on the line. It is time to say enough. It is time to find our courage and through doing so, to summon the courage of millions and millions of women across this society that they don't even yet know is burning within them, and the fury. And on March 8th, International Women's Day, at 3 p.m. at Union Square in this city and all across the country in marches and protests nationwide, we are going to manifest this fury this courage, and this power undeniably. Because this fascist program of control over women relies on us cowering in the silence that they heap on us. It relies on us hiding in the shadows of the shame that they illegitimately cast on women. They rely on us cringing in fear at the pain they inflict on us and the bigger pain they intend to bring down. And this silence, it plays into their hands. This silence has allowed them to advance this assault on abortion rights over decades with very little cost. And today, at this moment when Roe v. Wade the right to abortion nationwide hangs in the balance. We have to say the truth here. This silence is being aided and abetted by the so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement who are telling you that you can do nothing but roll over and accept the obliteration of Roe v. Wade, either outright or in effect. They are telling you the best you can do is prepare for a post-Roe America and maybe help a few women travel to another state or teach a few women how to induce their own abortions and hopefully stay out of jail and out of the hospital. And maybe pass a few laws in a few local areas to protect us and let millions of women's lives be shattered and foreclosed. Whatever they call this, however they dress it up, this is capitulation. And the fact that this so-called women's movement and the people of this country did not flood the streets in fury, did not shut down every freeway, did not walk out of every school, did not bring this society to a halt when the state took away the right to abortion to six million women of childbearing age in Texas last September. This is shameful. This is shameful. And this stops now. This stops today. Because when we rise, when we dare, when we back it up with our bodies on the line and the God's forsaken truth, the God's honest truth, then we are right. Right is on our side, and they are wrong, and the shame belongs on them. When we put it on the line, 
We can summon a force and call forward a force that is a match for these fascist women haters. That is a match for these dark ages shame throwers. That is a match for these pompous patriarchal politicians who have no right to tell a woman what to do with her body and her life. This fury, this unbridled, unrestrained fury of millions and millions of women rising up and rebelling against thousands and thousands of years of tradition's chains. This fury is a force that can shake the whole society and it can change the whole world. And that is what we aim to do. Yes, this is going to take a fight. And yes, it is going to take sacrifice. And yes, at times it's gonna be scary. But I say look at the women of Colombia. Look at the victory they won just in the last week. Yes, they fought by opening clinics. Yes, they fought in the legal arena for years. But what tipped the tide in that country where they won the decriminalization of abortion in a Catholic country, in a patriarchal repressive state, they won it what tipped the tide is when they looked at the women of Argentina who are raising this green bandana and filling the streets with their fury relentlessly, courageously, in the face of sacrifice, and they won the right to abortion. In the streets, and in Mexico, they decriminalized abortion by going into the streets. And in Colombia, when they went into the streets, they opened up that victory, and you saw their faces. Look at the pictures, the joy the tears of relief, the joy that is the taste of a victory for the people. Something sweet that far too many people in this world have ever savored, but we intend to. This, this fury, that spirit is what needs to manifest on March 8th, International Women's Day. And we need to take this green bandana and wear it and spread it and tell people what they did and let them know that we too are strengthened and inspired by their struggle and carrying it forward here. So this is the path that we are opening up today. This is the path being carved by those who will put their bodies on the line in civil disobedience in just a few moments when I'm done speaking. And here, I want to read a quote. It's a quote that I've drawn inspiration from and returned to many times. It's a quote from the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, who is also the architect of the new communism. And I want to acknowledge that there are many people here in this fight for abortion rights who are not fighting for the same revolution that B.A., Bob Avakian, and myself are fighting for. But all of us are waging a fight for fundamental change up against an oppressive state up against a patriarchal church, up against the capitulation and passivity of all too many that should be on our sides. And this quote has application to what all of us are doing. And he says, quote, I have several times noted the fact that for the advanced forces, for those who come to the forefront of the revolutionary struggle, there is a heavy weight to carry it is demanding a lot of them to play this role, 
to be the ones to most steadfastly carry the revolutionary struggle along. But it is not too much to demand. In basketball, there are those players who are not only outstanding in general, but who specifically make the big plays at the crucial moments. These are the ones who want the ball when crunch time comes, when the whole game is on the line. They are the ones who love to go into the home court of their biggest rivals and rise to their greatest heights in the face of the other team and their howling, screaming fans. They are the ones who not only soar to great heights themselves, but in so doing, raise the level of their team as a whole. Why shouldn't the advanced forces of proletarian revolution, those who have the most profound interest in this revolution and the most profound desire for revolution, why shouldn't they be capable of this kind of greatness?" End quote. We here are capable of this kind of greatness. So for all of you who came here today, not decided to participate in civil disobedience, if you feel that stirring within you, if you feel moved to participate, I want you to know that it will matter. And I want to say that a life lived without ever putting it on the line for something that truly matters is, a not, is not a life lived well. And for everyone, whether you take that particular step with us today or not, do not squander the truth and the courage you have seen here today. Do not squander the hopes that have been raised from all those tuning in, walking by, donating, and spreading the word who helped make this happen. And do not squander the strength of those who will be putting it on the line in nonviolent civil disobedience. Stand with them. Bear witness. Document it and put it on social media. Spread it everywhere. And soak up this courage. Let it fuel you. Get on the phone and get on your text and get in touch with everybody you know, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, the people in your building and the strangers on the street, and you tell them that there is a movement standing up. You tell them there is a juggernaut coming for the lives of women. You tell them that they need to join us in the streets on March 8th, International Women's Day. We need to get together to honor those who get do the civil disobedience, but more than that, to roll up our sleeves and get to work together to figure out how we're going to reach people across this city, the students on the campuses, the people in the arts, the medical professionals, the young people, and the people locked at the bottom of society, people and everywhere in between, to turn out and make this March 8th truly powerful, March 8th International Women's Day. Now, International Women's Day People should know this. This is a day when the struggle for the liberation of women all over the world is declared. And in the revolution that I am fighting for, women's liberation is completely bound up with the fight to emancipate all of humanity. And to make this real, this means this year, we must fight with all we've got for the right to abortion. So together, let's make this International Women's Day, the day that the fascists and the women haters began to get nervous. 
began to realize that those they have stepped on, those they have discounted, those they have disrespected, those they have treated as zeros, rose up and started to change the tide. Just like in Colombia, just like Argentina, just like in Mexico, and yes, through our struggle, let us also draw inspiration from the women of Poland who have fought relentlessly for abortion rights. And let us, through our fury and our defiance, send strength back to them that they might continue that fight unbroken until victory. And from there, March 8th, we will puncture the silence. We will wake up millions more, and then we will go to work together to do the hard but necessary and inspiring work to spark and spread and organize tens of thousands more and ultimately millions in a movement massive enough, righteous enough, defiant and relentless enough that we sweep across this country and make clear to the fascists on the Supreme Court and women haters everywhere that if they try to take this right away, their society will be prevented from functioning at all. No business as usual. It is up to us. This is within our grasp. Everyone here has a role to play. And from here forward, we are going to fight with all we've got. We are going to demand the Supreme Court not decimate women's rights and deny their humanity. We are going to fight and win abortion on demand and without apology. Thank you. Um. This is the Michael Slate Show, and we've been listening to Voices from a Rally by Rise Up for Abortion Rights, held Sunday, February 27th at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. To find out more information about plans for protesting March 8th, go to riseupforabortionrights.org, spelled with numeral four. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Brother, there's far too many of you died.